The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Allow me to welcome you to the Inn as well at the beginning of this new academic year. My name is Ryan Church. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the Inn and at UPC. Some people call me the R. Okay, if you want to call me that, feel free. And certainly before you leave uh, tonight, I I want to invite you to to come up and introduce yourself because here's what I've learned about myself. I'm going to get names right. It usually takes me... Uh, it usually takes me two, at least two times, in usually two different contexts. So uh, let's start tonight. I'm eager to get to know some of the new faces uh, as we start this year. Uh, and it's great to see so many new faces out here as well. Of course, it's great to see so many familiar ones as well. Uh, and as I welcome you, I, I want to let you know that, that there's a group of student leaders that have been working hard last week, getting things ready. Uh, perhaps some of you are here because you got a cup out there on campus uh, that was given to you by one of our student leaders. Great group of folks uh, that uh, really makes everything that happens around here happen. Uh, but the, as we get this year started, there's one student leader that's, uh, that's missing uh, that I, I just want to recognize before we, we continue. Many of you uh, know Jacques Gordon, a very gregarious personality that has been with us over the last several years. He was on our in setup and takedown team. He was often the one responsible for hanging this banner every week. And as some of you are aware, uh, Jacques and his mother were killed this summer tragically as they were driving down to a Young Life camp in in, uh, in central Oregon. And, and so we, we grieve the loss of, of our friend uh, and, and we miss him on a, on a night like tonight. Uh, but we, we have hope, if not confidence, that as much fun as we're having uh, tonight, uh, Jacques is having even more fun. That's the hope that we have uh, in Jesus Christ, that he is up there partying. And if there's any way uh, if, if, if there was ever a circumstance where Jesus needed to receive scores, like where he didn't know them, well, now he's got the guy that's going to help him out, because uh, Jacques is the type of guy that would do that. So Jacques, we love you. Uh, we miss you. We thank you for everything that you brought to this community. So. Hey, I'm excited for the year ahead, if not the week ahead, as uh, Brian and Emily told you with uh, Rush Week. Uh, Before you leave tonight, I want to invite you to take a look at the tables around the room for the many opportunities that are available here, whether it's to get connected with other people in the Greek system, get connected to a small group. I am convinced that there is a way for every single person that comes through the doors here at the Inn to somehow get connected to deeper community and and have this be a place uh, that you can call home regardless of where you are coming from. Well, what is the genre of the movie of your life? For some of you, I'm sure that, you know, it's probably an easy layup on comedy. Either it's because weird things happen to you or you yourself are, are just funny. Perhaps there's a little bit of rom-com up in there. Although there's probably some of you that feel like you're a multi-episode sitcom when it comes to your dating life. Other people are probably thinking, oh man, if it's up to my dating life, it'd get canceled after a single season or something like that. 
Maybe, maybe you're like the interns and that you're, you're kind of like, you're doing some, some superhero action adventure thing like, like Grant and Gray did in The Dark Knight Rising, Batman and Robin back there. Maybe you're more into, you know, some magic and fantasy and casting spells, you know, like, like Megan and Brooke uh, were doing. I know, uh, I know that Sherms is kind of into fantasy as well, and, and I get it. Um, I totally get it. In fact, last time, uh, the last several times, really, that I've been flying, I don't know what it is. It's like, why do I continue to look at Sky Mall? Okay, but I do. And in Sky Mall, have you ever noticed this? In Sky Mall, they have a full, like, often it's right in the middle of the magazine, the full spread of, like, Lord of the Rings stuff, where, where you can actually get, like, the one ring to rule them all, one ring to bind them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness find them. Like, there's been times, okay, I'm kind of a, maybe I'm fantasy, okay? But honestly, this wedding band, I've been married for 11 years. This wedding band, it's actually not the first one I've had, not the second one I've had. No, not the third one, but yes, count them, the fourth. Okay, so a ring that would find all the other rings sounds rather appealing to me. <laughs> Sky Mall to the rescue. So maybe I'm fantasy. Um, I kind of want to say action adventure. Sometimes when I ask people about what's my celebrity doppelganger, they'll say, hey, you know, uh, Tobey Maguire kind of works for me. I'm like, yeah, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, or in the, in the Upside Down Kiss. Yeah, that's definitely me. Uh, other times I think, hey, you know, maybe I'm a little bit of rom-com. Uh, but my wife, uh, my uber-pragmatic wife, would definitely protest that because she would say, romantic comedy, if that's going to be your life, I don't see how that's possible because you're neither romantic nor funny. So how's that going to work? I have, after all, had four rings. <laughs> um, no doubt that my favorite type of story, the favorite type of genre, the one that I'm drawn to, would be some sort of... of epic or action adventure where usually there would have to be some sort of underdog narrative to it. Perhaps there's, there's maybe a, a coming of age or a redemption story that, that's part of it. Uh, some of you had the chance to see Les Miserables uh, earlier this year. Great movie that has a little bit of all those themes. You know? And then there's, there's, there's some movies from, from you know, back in the day that, that could get me fired up. You know, Rudy, and I definitely cried during Seabiscuit, and it's about a horse, people. Those are, those are great stories, all these things that we're talking about. Uh, but honestly, when I begin to think of my story and what the genre of mine might be, I actually start going, man, I, I really don't know because in, in, in so many times when I think about my own life, it's really not all that exciting. Like there's, there's a reason that people aren't making movies about my life. I'm tempted to think that really... Uh, it's just kind of little old me, and there's really nothing all that extraordinary about it. So the question becomes, how, how about you? What's your story? What defines your story? Is it the things you do? Is it your family? Maybe the, the, the friends that you hang out with? Maybe, maybe it's God. Well, what I have come to understand in years of doing college ministry and frankly, years of looking at my own story is that we are all wrestling deeply with this question of who am I? Who am I? As I'm starting to lean into to, uh, looking at, at, at age 40 coming up, it's still a question that I wrestle with. And right behind that question is the question of who is God? 
And what I believe is that our lives and the story of our lives are, are essentially just that, a story that explains how we are wrestling with and living into that question of who am I and who is God? Who am I and who is God? What's my story and what's the story of God? And that is exactly what we want to look at this quarter. Because I believe this. I stand in front of you believing that God is at work in every single one of you and the stories that are in this room. Because I believe that God is at at work and that it's described in this big, dynamic, and often confusing book that we all know that's called the Bible. So my contention is that if we get to know the Bible, we get to know God, we get to know the heart of God, and when we get to know the heart of God, when we get to know the story of God, I believe it actually helps us know our story and helps make us more aware of what God's doing in our story, what God wants to do in our story. That's what we're going to do this quarter. I think it's an exciting journey. Let me pray for us as we get started. Lord, inspire us. Inspire us as your word is inspired. Lord, as we gather on on this first end of the academic year, uh, we pray that that you would be present with us and that we would be aware of that presence. Lord, make yourself real to us. Make yourself real to us in your word, in the interactions we have with each other, in the songs that we sing, heck, even in the, the tacos and treats that we eat. Just be real to us. That's the desire of our hearts. Help us out with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... This quarter, no shocker, you walked into the inn, we're going to talk about the Bible. A couple of things I want you to know as we get started with this. First, the Bible is a love story. It's a love story about the unfailing and unending love that God has for God's people. Now, no doubt the Bible contains some some often confusing, um, mysterious, if not troubling, um, history and stories. But when taken together, Scripture communicates to those of us that would try to read it, it communicates to us more than just a set of rules or or things that we should do, but it communicates to us about who God is. Is that the way that you approach the Bible? Maybe why you're here is that that you need a new way, a a new idea on on how to approach the Bible. And the way that I want want you to do that, at least experiment with us this quarter, is by saying, what what do these pages, what do these stories tell me about the personality, the heart, the desire about God and how God feels toward me and towards my neighbors? Second, this story of God influences your story. Now, when we get to know what God's heart is and how God works in scripture, then it begins to help us create that sense of awareness of, hey, maybe God's at work in exactly the same way in my story. And so we need to know the story of God 
in order that we, might need to, that we might know ourselves a little bit better as well. And the primary way that we get to know the story of God is through this thing called the Bible or scripture. Um, as as a, I guess a word of encouragement to you as we get started in this journey, I wanna read a word of encouragement that, that uh, a mentor gives to a protege that Paul gives to Timothy. Some of you who may have grown up in the church are gonna be familiar with this passage, but I think it helps us understand the task at hand. Says this, this is in uh, 2 Timothy 3. And it says this, you, Timothy, however, know all about my, Paul, teaching. You know all my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Okay, notice what the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter, is is saying. He's essentially saying, remember who I am and remember my story. And then he makes this great statement about the gospel when he says, the Lord rescued me. One of my favorite succinct, really, summations of the gospel is from theologian N.T. Wright. When he just, he sums up the whole gospel by saying, Jesus is God's rescue mission to the world. Jesus is God's rescue mission to the world. How would you boil down the gospel to whatever that is? Six words, seven words. So, so Paul says, remember my story, and my story is this, the Lord has rescued me. Okay, it continues, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, yeah, there we go. But as for you, continue what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, first off, I love that Paul gives Timothy a call to be different. When Paul says, but as for you, he's noting that, Timothy, you're to be uh, just a little bit different than what you see happening everywhere else. Why? Because you know a different story. Continue in what you've learned. Continue in the story that you've learned. Continue in what you've learned because of the stories from who you've learned it. He's reminding Timothy that you have seen the gospel animated in these people who are around you. So you know the story and you've seen the story played out in real ways. Basically, you've seen people who believe, who really live life like they believe. You've seen this story. And then finally, he goes on to say, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So he finishes by saying, 
Um, and, and Paul here is definitely referring to the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, as the New Testament was not yet written when he's writing this. And he's saying it, dis- it is that all of these things are the story of God and it's useful. And he's just giving specifics on how it's useful. It teaches us. It corrects us. It trains us. It's a story that's useful. Now, it's interesting to consider, why would this be the final encouragement that Paul would give to Timothy? Was he struggling in his faith? Was he drawn to other stories? Was he crumbling in the face of, of the persecution that the early church was, was facing? Or was he, was he just not connecting to the scriptures that, that he would have had? We don't totally know. But there's something in here that I think we can relate to, right? Recently, I came across a, a study that was, that was uh, actually published this month from the Barna Group. And some of the things they found were that more than half of Americans between ages 18 and 29 found that being connected to a church was of little importance. Why? Two reasons, two primary reasons. One, they found it irrelevant. And two, they believed, and I found this one interesting, they believed that they could teach themselves everything that they needed to know about spirituality. That they could kind of go and, and do it on their own. They really, didn't, they really didn't need anything else. They could do it themselves. Now, among those who are in the church, and this was, to me, equally as fascinating, it says that in the last month, just over a quarter of you, 27%, have read the Bible outside of a worship context. Okay, so just about 25%, one in four. So this study would suggest that it's safe to assume that most of you, even in a fellowship like this, don't really read the Bible. Okay, now there's probably there's probably a lot of good reasons for this. You know, you've you've got uh, you've got a grab a date you have to go to. You've got a you've got a midterm you have to write. You're spending time trying to impress people on Instagram. I get that. Okay. That's before we get to things like the fact that sometimes scripture can be difficult to understand. Sometimes it's easy to write it off as irrelevant, and sometimes it may come off as just plain boring. But let's not forget that the Bible is also filled with thrilling epics of heroes and villains, of sex and betrayal, of romance and war, along with poetic reflections, and of course, some of those famous teachings. So we can acknowledge that some of those those ancient ordinances and extended genealogies that we find in some of the early pages of the Old Testament don't make a lot of sense to us, but that the story of scripture is ultimately very dynamic and it's important because it's the building blocks of faith that communicate to us the heart, the intention, the desire of the living God. Do you know what that is? Are you able to see it in the world? We begin to see those things in the world when we know the story of 
And we see them in scripture. Now, here's what I like even more. Of the people who did read the Bible, nearly 70% of those said that it had been key to helping them meaningfully, meaningfully connect with Jesus in that same amount of time. That there was a direct correlation, at least um, three of every four, that said, reading scripture helped me connect to knowing who Jesus was and seeing Jesus active in the world. So it begs the question, in the past week, did you read the Bible? Do you know what God is up to in your life? How do you know? Why or why not? You see, the story of the Bible reminds us that God is present with us. It's a story of promise and deliverance, of provision, of redemption, of community and new beginnings. And if all that is true, it means that God is up to something in your life. It means that God is up to something in your neighbor's life. It means that God is up to something in the world. And scripture is given to us so that we might remember, remember, remember. So often that's what scripture says, remember. Remember this story. Teach it. Remember who I am. Because it will influence your story. Let me tell you a little bit of my story. My memory begins the night that my parents separated and subsequently divorced. I was about four. I grew up in the thriving metropolis of Port Angeles, Washington, or PA for short, not Pennsylvania, but PA, Port Angeles. And despite my parents being divorced, I was able to grow up with, by and large, with a smile on my face. Okay, here's the picture on the left. You know it's the late 70s, early 80s because nothing says that era like double exposure, okay? <laughs> that person on the left is my mom. The person looking at you in the camera is me. You know what? And, and this, I recently came across this picture and I actually have a little bit of red hair and, and those of you that know me know that my sons have incredibly red hair. So, uh, you know, it, it shouldn't be that weird now next time you meet them. So I, I grew up out there on the peninsula um, and my, I had grandparents that were deeply involved in my life. They were the ones that, that really taught me the, the really important things and that I would say have made the, the biggest mark on my personality. They were the ones that taught me how to say please and thank you, how to have conversations with adults. They taught me how to play golf and cribbage and, of course, taught me the words to bow down to Washington before I was 10, okay? All of the really, really important things that you need to know uh, in your life. Port Angeles is, is a smaller town, so I grew up around a lot of friends and families that it really invited me into whatever they were doing. If they were going skiing or camping or fishing, I often got invited along. So I had, I had a lot of great guys in my life, a lot of great support that helped me navigate, for example, things like living with my mom and my three younger sisters in a house that had, count them, one bathroom. Okay, if I wanted in that bathroom with those four women, I had better be the first because after that it was on lockdown. Okay, 
Um, as, I, as I continued uh, growing up, I, got, I found a lot of affirmation in the things that I did. For example, here's a picture of me as the ASB president at my middle school giving what I'm sure was a real winner of a speech. <laughs> And then, of course, uh, I came over here to the University of Washington. This was my freshman year. And believe it, I, I mean, listen, I always had a bit of a struggle with hair, as this uh, picture so wonderfully illustrates. You know, and throw on top of that a burgundy jacket with round glasses. And it probably makes sense while people uh, think that I often get, get confused as type of a, of, of a kind of you know, mascot Harry Potter, even though I always try to explain, look, I am so much sexier than Daniel Ratliff, okay? People don't always buy it, but that picture proves it. So coming over, I had been connected to the church uh, when, I was, when I was growing up and, you know, did things like flannel graphs, and I had heard aspects of, of the story of God, the story of scripture. But as often happens as people come to college, um, it was in a moment of, of despair, if not brokenness, um, that things became a, a little bit more real. After a girl had, that I was convinced I was in love with had broken up with me, uh, it was only then that I ended up in this very room uh, for the end. Some friends invited me kind of as I was moping around, and I sat right over there underneath that, that basket um, on the south wall. And it was, it was in this place that as I again heard this story of God, this story from scripture, that it began to make sense. And over the next year and a half, there, was plenty, there were plenty of times that I had, had stubbed my toe, uh, plenty of times that I got involved with what I now call garden variety fraternal hedonism. Use your imagination, I know. Not proud of it, but it's there. And it was around about sometime in my sophomore year that as I continued to hear this story, I discovered if this is true, and I believe that it is, it probably means there's a little bit more to this story than I've given God credit for. That what I was becoming aware of as I was coming to the inn, as I was, as I was hanging out with friends that were seeking hard after Jesus, as I was doing uh, my own exploration with other people, my life began to change. And at the end of my senior year, I turned down kind of my dream internship to go on world deputation in Haiti. We sent a team there again uh, this past year. This was my team in, in 1998. My story began to change because of how I was hearing the story of God. I began to see my story no longer as kind of this, this static, boring, unexceptional thing, but I began to see that my story was a story of redemption, of freedom, and of community. I began to see that my story was a story of a God that was present even when I didn't give God credit for that presence. Even before I was aware that God was ever with me, the story was telling me, oh, wait a minute. Yes, God was with you. And yes, God is with you. So 
what about your life? How would you describe the presence of God? I'm here to tell you that God is more present in your life than you give God credit for. God's more present than you think. And because that's what I believe, I want to challenge you this quarter to get to know the Bible more. Okay, now listen to this. To get to know the Bible more, not so that God will love you more. Listen, God already loves you as much as God is gonna love you. But get to know the Bible more so that you will know the reality of that. I'm not challenging you to somehow earn it more. It's simply mine and Janie's desire that you would come to realize that it's there, that it's true. It's not about getting God to know you or love you more. It's about you getting to know the reality of Jesus and his knowledge and love of you more than you currently do. And so this quarter, I want to give you the invitation to join us each week as Janie and I and the staff seek to help you better understand and connect the dots of the heart of God as given to us in scripture. We're going to look at some of the recurring themes with the hope that you will see that the spirit is far more active than you tend to give God credit for. Our hope is that you will come away with tools and with language that will be beneficial as you read scripture on your own and as you study scripture in the groups uh, that you're in together. And of course, our hope is that you would just know more than just a few pages in the New Testament that you might open up some of those pages that are stuck together in the Old Testament as well. In the third century, there was a man named Augustine who deeply struggled with sin and depression, and understanding God and himself. Honestly, he was kind of the original party guy, notorious for his sleeping around and seeking to find meaning and pleasure in anything that the world had to offer. Perhaps that sounds familiar. Well, in what is believed to be one of the moments of his greatest despair, he wrote this, in, in this, this note really in a journal. And bear with me, because it's translated from Latin and Old English into what we have now. But, so it's a little old school, but it's profound. This is what St. Augustine says. He says, so I was, I was speaking and weeping in the most bitter contrition of my heart when, lo, I heard a neighboring, from a neighboring house a voice. As of a boy or a girl, I know not, chanting and repeating, take up and read, take up and read. Instantly, my countenance altered. So checking the torrent of my tears, I arose, interpreting it to be no other than a command from God to open the book and read the first chapter I should find. I seized, opened, and in silence read that section on which my eyes first fell not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh or lust. No further would I read, nor needed I, for instantly at the end of this sentence, 
by a light as it were a serenity infused my heart, all the darkness of doubt vanished away. Take up and read. Take up and read. You see, the story of God became the story of Augustine. And it transformed him from being this one chasing after anything the world had to to offer to being one of the most important thinkers in Western civilization. To this day, the way he thought influences how we think. Why? Because the story of God is something he understood to be his story as well. All because he took up and read. What would happen? What would happen if we became confident about the work of God in the world? What would happen if we began to know scripture so well that as we walk to class, as we sit in class, as we talk with a neighbor, as we ride the bus, as we do whatever it is that we're doing, we know the story so well that we can see how that story is being played out in every minute of our day. And so the invitation for each of us this quarter is to get to know the story because in so doing, you are going to meet a God that is far more active and has redeemed far more than you've previously given him credit for. And that's really, really good news. The book is a useful book. Let's dive in and check it out together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us a way to know you. You give us so many ways to know you that you've given us this gift and earth and vessel that is the Bible. And so, uh, Lord, motivate us. We need your spirit to, to energize us, to, to read, to take up and read. Uh, and, and Lord, we need your spirit's help to understand it. And so I pray for us tonight and as we go from here and really throughout the quarter that you would help us know you through your holy word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.